Good morning again. It's good to see you always. I love to be here. Um, I, uh, you know, as David, well, he didn't mention this, but as he prayed through the verses that he has been digging into and unpacking the past four weeks, um, this morning we're just going to take another step back so that we can be reminded um, of the big picture and of, of, of everything that Paul writes in, in Ephesians and how it's all meant to unite and build us up in Christ. And so I don't know about you, but this four-week mini-series for me has not been an easy one. The past four sermons on lying, anger, stealing, and corrupt talk have been uncomfortable and convicting. It's really hard at times to not get discouraged because it's like we're getting beat up every week. We're being reminded of just how pervasive our sin is, sometimes to the point where we don't even realize that we're doing it. But church, remember, it is okay to not be okay when you walk through those doors on a Sunday morning, to recognize that you have a problem with one or maybe all of those things to one degree or another. None of us in this room, not one person has it all together, but all of us can continue taking our next step toward Christ together, one day at a time, one step at a time. I mean, these sermons have been the perfect example of what we mean when we say that we love you enough to tell you the truth. Uh, It's never David's or my intention to discourage any of you, any of us, not ever. But we know that freedom in Christ, abundant life in Christ, is only possible when we relentlessly pursue truth and doggedly get after our sin, empowered by the Holy Spirit with our eyes focused on the hope of the gospel. Chapter 1, verse 1 says, Paul an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. I cannot stress enough how important it is that we never forget that this letter is written to saints, believers in Jesus Christ. When God rescues us from sin and death and grants us eternal life in Christ by grace through faith alone, he knows that we're still going to battle sin for the rest of of our lives, and he saves us and calls us his own anyway. It's kind of like a team captain choosing the worst player first, and we're all the worst players, right? We are going to fail profoundly, but he promises to never leave us or forsake us when we do. His love for us is steadfast and true. His promises are sure. He will help us on the lifelong path of sanctification, and He will complete the work that He has started in us. We're His. We're sealed by the Holy Spirit. So my prayer is that we might rest in the assurance that no one and nothing can snatch us out of His hands. So we have established that the first three chapters of Ephesians are all about our belief, and the last three chapters are about our behavior. Paul is not exhorting right behavior so that we can be saved. No. His entire argument is if you are born again, if you believe what is so carefully laid out in chapters one through three, then you will behave in this way. You will want to do the things laid out in chapters 4 through 6. Belief 
and behavior are inextricably linked. It is exactly as Martin Lloyd-Jones said, our conduct should be inevitable in view of what we believe. So what we've been learning from Paul the past two months as we've camped out in the last half of Ephesians 4 is that when we have been justified by grace through faith in Christ's shed blood, then we are rescued from that wide, dark path that leads to eternal destruction. And we're placed on that narrow, well-lit path, every one of us starting out as babes with so much to learn and a whole lot of growth that needs to take place. The journey of sanctification, of growing in holiness, it takes a lifetime Every single day, we've got to get up and make the conscious decision to put off our old selves and to put on all the things that define us as Christ followers, gracious and loving truth-telling, righteous anger against sin, honest hard work and encouraging words, all the things that we've been talking about the past four weeks. I'm so thankful that Pentecost fell right in the middle of what we've been studying in Ephesians because it served as a well-timed reminder that there is no way we could ever do any of this on our own. We desperately need the power of the Holy Spirit working in and through us to become more like Jesus so that we can then behave more like Jesus from the inside out. We don't have to be controlled any longer by the deceitful desires that we all have Our inner beings have been renewed. The Holy Spirit dwells within us, and every day we're being sanctified more and more so that we're able to overcome those deceitful desires and walk in a manner worthy of the calling that we've received. And I do love that Paul urges us to walk in a manner worthy of our calling because that's just it. It is not a one-and-done sprint It's more like a marathon, day by day, taking our next steps toward Christ, walking down that well-lit path hand in hand with the Holy Spirit. We cannot do it on our own, but we must do it. We must make the decision to daily take up our crosses and follow Christ one step at a time. In other words, we must obey Him. Jesus Himself said it as clearly as it could be said, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. And John wrote in his first letter, this is love for God, to obey his commands. It's really the point that Paul is making in Ephesians. If you believe what you say you believe, if you love Jesus like you say you love Jesus, then you will respond or behave accordingly. So let's read again these verses that we've read many times over the past four weeks and that David has unpacked for us. If you missed any of those sermons, I cannot get, on, get online and listen to them over your lunch break as you're taking a walk. They're so good and they're so important because they're just practical. Paul's helping us know this is what we got to do. So I, want, I really want to encourage you to do that if you've missed them. So Let's read them together. Therefore, well, you don't have to read. Just listen. (laughs) Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. 
Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. So if you're anything like me, you probably used to read those verses just really quickly. Like, yeah, 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 I don't really have a problem with any of that stuff, so I can just go on. Uh, But this last month has been extremely eye-opening and heart-rending, honestly, as I have been convicted that I still far too easily get dressed up in those old disgusting clothes of lying, unrighteous anger, stealing, and corrupt talk. Paul says that we need to put off lying and put on speaking the truth always. He says that we must put off anger that leads to sin and instead imitate God by having anger toward the sin in our lives, toward anything that stands counter to truth, anything that undermines God's glory. We are to put off stealing and start putting on honest work so that we can be generous toward others. And last, and this might be one of the hardest ones to get after, because we talk and we talk and we talk non-stinking stop, right? Paul says that every ounce of it, every ounce of corrupt talk has to be put off, words that tear down, discourage, or criticize. And we've got to only speak words that will build up and give grace to those who hear. One of my mom's mantras as we were growing up was, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all, right? I'm sure some of you have heard that as well. Paul would say, if your words won't build up and give grace to those who hear, keep your mouth shut. Keep your mouth shut. I don't know about you, but I feel like I've had, if I only had these four things to work on for the rest of my life, it would be plenty. Plenty. But the thing is, if you're relieved that like, whew, finally we are out of the, you know, those, all the things we put up, no, 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 Paul isn't even close to being done with getting all up into our nitty gritty business. He's only just begun. Not only does he continue to lay out in the remainder of chapter four, more of what we need to put off and what we need to put on instead, he just keeps right on going in chapter five. There is not one single aspect of our lives that is left to be untouched by the gospel. The way we think, the way we speak, how and why we are to work hard, the way we treat one another, the way we think about money, our marriages, the way we parent, even the way we engage in the spiritual battle all around us. The power of the gospel is transformative on every single level, personally and corporately. And so is it any wonder that our sanctification takes a lifetime? So as I thought and prayed through our exhortation this morning, I just kept coming back to three main ideas. First, all sin is rooted in self. Second, we work to throw off our self-rooted sin for the well-being of the entire church. And third, we do it for God's glory alone. At the end of the day, no matter what, that must become the litmus test for everything we think, do, and say. God's glory. Nothing matters 
more. So first, why do I say that all sin is rooted in self? Well, I know we have definitely been learning about the old self versus the new self, but what I'm talking about this morning is actually the kind of self where even if you've been born again, you've still got your basic self-centered, self-absorbed kind of self, right? And we love self, don't we? When we choose to put on those foul, nasty clothes, it's because we're looking out for number one. Me, myself, and I. I put myself and my desires on the throne in place of God and certainly above all you. So let's just think about these four things that Paul's been talking about. Why do I lie? Why does anyone lie? Well, we lie because we want to make ourselves look better, smarter, more accomplished than we really are. We lie because we don't want somebody to think badly about us. We lie sometimes maybe in an effort to make people laugh because we want them to like us. We lie sometimes because we're hurt. And honestly, we want other people to hurt. We lie because we're embarrassed or ashamed. We lie because we don't want to suffer the consequences of our choices so maybe we can get out of it. I could go on for days. But all those reasons, you know, they're all about me. Self. Self-promotion, self-preservation, self-delusion. So much self. So let's consider unrighteous anger. Why do we get so angry when someone cuts us off in traffic or jumps in line in front of us or doesn't rake their leaves and then they blow in our yard and we have to do it, right? Well, it's because we're completely and utterly self-absorbed. And we can only think about what's convenient or expedient or conducive or helpful to me, my life, my schedule, my plans, my liking. Why do we have anger toward people who have disappointed, hurt, or sinned against us so much so that our hearts begin to harden with unforgiveness and bitterness? Well, it's because we actually believe that we're more righteous than we are. We believe we're more righteous than they are. We have no idea how egregious and deep our own sin is, how very much we've been forgiven. We have a wildly inflated view of self, and it keeps us from viewing others with humility and grace. So why do we steal? It's because we're downright selfish. <laughs> when I steal goods or, or time or money at work, it's because I don't really care about my boss or my company or my coworkers or my customers. I just want whatever it is that I want, and so I take it for myself. I mean, why do I take the quarter from the Aldi cart? Because it's a quarter, dude. Like, it's a quarter. And nobody's going to miss it. Why do I lie and steal both on my income tax returns? Well, it's because I wrongly think that it's my right to stick it to the government. And I'm greedy. And I want what I want, so I steal for me, self. And why do we let corrupting talk pour out of us? Let's just cut to the chase again. It's because somehow it makes us feel better about our sorry selves. We don't like who we are, and so we tear other people down. God's word says that out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so all the words that come coursing out of us that only bring people down, they say far more about us 
than they do about anything or anyone around us. I sin because I love myself more than I love you. I sin because I love God. I'm sorry, because I love myself more than I love God. I sin because I want what I want. I want God's glory. But think about what this entire letter has been about since the very first words. It's been about the church, the entire body of Christ, all of God's people united for his glory. Paul couldn't say it more clearly. We are members one of another. And so if that is true, and it is, then this can no longer be what we're all about. It cannot be. I mean, can you imagine an entire community like this, where people are only looking out for number one, and nobody gives a rip about truth or righteousness or grace or how their choices affect the people around them? I mean, actually, it's not very hard to imagine what that might be. You just turn on the radio, turn on the news, turn on social media, right? All you need to do is look around, and we see an entire world focused on self, but that is not how we learned Christ. What we have learned in Ephesians is that from the foundation of the world, God's cosmic plan has been to unite all things in Christ through the church. We are members one of another. So every time we choose to lie, every time we allow unrighteous anger to get the best of us, when we cut corners so that we don't have to work as hard or so that we can be greedy, and every time we choose words that tear down rather than build up, we are literally choosing to harm not only ourselves, but every single person around us. Why would we ever want to do that? Paul actually says in chapter 5, verse 29, which we'll get to in a few months, that no one ever hates his own flesh, but he nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. What we'll learn when we get to that verse is that Paul is using the example of marriage, but he's actually talking all about the church. We are members one of another. One of the biggest lies we can believe, and perhaps it's one that you often tell yourself, is that your sin, especially the stuff that you think you can hide, it doesn't really hurt anybody else. It's nobody else's business. There is not an ounce of truth in that. It's all of our business, not in a judgmental or gossipy way, but because your growth in Christ is mine too. And my good and growth in Christ, that's, it's, it's yours too. We are members one of another. That's God's design. One of the reasons that we need and should want to daily throw off those old disgusting clothes so that we can grow in true righteousness and holiness is because when we do, the entire church is strengthened. But when one of us chooses to sin, we all suffer. We all experience the brokenness and the consequences. So my battle against sin and self, it's not just about me or for my good. It's for you too. And your battle against sin and self, it's not just about you. It's for me too. And all the people around you, we are members one of another, day 
by day, we take our next step toward Christ together. Our personal and corporate pursuit of truth, righteousness, and holiness is to be motivated by our love for Christ and our love for one another, His body, the church. That's what God has been all about since before the creation of the world. But that's not even the most important reason that we should want to die to self so that the body of Christ may be built up and strengthened until our greatest desire is for God's glory alone. We're missing the mark entirely. So I know that I was very slow to jump on the bandwagon, but I have only recently started watching The Chosen. Um, I think I, honestly, I delayed for so long because so often anything about Jesus, like movies, and they're so cheesy and cringeworthy, and I cannot stand it. And so I just didn't want to watch it because I didn't want it to be cheesy. Um, but I am almost through season two. I'm not totally binging, but kind of. Um, and I am very much enjoying it. I think one of the reasons that I am is because I love being reminded of Jesus' humanity. You know, he, he was a, a real, he is, is a real person. He's a person who has feelings right? He knows what it's like to be human just like us. He laughed, he cried, he hurt, he had friends, and he knew what it was like to have very real enemies. He got tired, he got hungry, he had to lay down his desires, his life every single day, just like we're asked to do. He's a real person, and he came to earth on behalf of a real person, the Father, And right before he died, Jesus prayed a a beautiful prayer, and it's in John chapter 17. He prays for himself, he prays for his disciples right then and there, and then he prays for us. And as he's praying for himself, he says to the Father, I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work that you gave me to do. That's the entirety of what Jesus' life was about, glorifying the Father through loving, humble obedience to his will. Friends, the work that Jesus came to do and that glorifies the Father is what we talk about almost every single Sunday we gather. He came and he offered his life so that we could be forgiven of our sin, rescued from eternal destruction, reconciled to the Father, and given eternal life in the kingdom of God. He came so that we could be in a relationship with him. And now, if we are in Christ, we too have been given work to do. And that work is not burdensome. We do it because we are so overwhelmed with gratitude. We do it because we love him so much. We want to be like him. But make no mistake, we must do something. Every single day, probably hundreds of times a day, we must do the hard work of throwing off those old disgusting sin clothes and by choosing to put on all that Christ has made possible for us. We want to cherish and nurture our relationship with the Father through faith in his son, to day by day die to self and walk hand in hand with the Holy Spirit in pursuit of true righteousness and holiness for one reason and one reason alone, God's glory.
If we truly long to be like Jesus, then we will long for God's glory alone. We will do the work he's given us to do for God's glory alone. We will die to self and we will put off lying, unrighteous anger, stealing, and corrupt talk for God's glory alone. And we will long for the entire body of Christ to be healthy and growing for God's glory alone. More than anything else in all the world, we will live for God's glory alone. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are acutely aware of our sin this morning, but my prayer is that you would make us even more aware of the power of your grace and goodness to us in Christ. May we trust in the work that he has accomplished on our behalf, and may we humble ourselves in desperate dependence on your Holy Spirit to throw off our sin and live lives that bring you glory. For Jesus' sake, amen. Amen.